This is not another model on the delicious vinyl station powered by Dad. literally just spent almost an hour doing um it did not record so we're gonna do this again maybe take a second retake here this is algo brihani and you're tuned into not another model on the delicious vinyl station rep the set powered by dash and we have ashton hirota the founder of ashton michael the beautiful incredible line that he has literally made from scratch. All right, going back into the second take of this set. You guys, we forgot to press record. Anyways, take the floor, please, Ashton. Like, I need a bottle of wine now as well. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> wow. It's gonna be cute, we're gonna do it. All right, shake it out, shake it out, shake it out. Ah, 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 ah. Mm -hmm. All of it. Okay. All right, so we had initially started before with where are you originally from, that whole spiel, how did you get started into fashion? Right. Uh, I grew up in East LA County in Hacienda Heights. I lived in Orange County, I lived in downtown Hollywood, New York for a little bit. I kind of been all over, but basically I'm a SoCal kid, born and raised. And fabulous. Yes. Yes. And a lot of people out there, if you don't know, Ashton Michael has recently been advocating for masks to be made amongst the lots of people out there who are in need of help. Can you tell us a little bit more about your advocacy for that as an activist? Yeah, um, I would have to be happy to. I think uh, this all sort of came abruptly when the entertainment and fashion industry uh, stopped. Uh, I didn't really know what to do and I couldn't really have my employees around and I wanted to be conscious of social distancing. So uh, I thought, what can I do with my skill set that can actually benefit the people around me and not necessarily like the fashion community. So I thought about the elderly, specifically the elderly queer community because they have the least amount of support, I feel. A lot of them don't have grandkids or kids to take care of them. So I started to reach out to that community to see if I could help them by making masks for them. And this is a couple weeks ago before this all sort of climaxed into a very massive pandemic. Massive. And um, being from LA, I wanted to reach out locally. So I reached out to the local living situations and they were very grateful to have me offer the service. At first they were kind of like, mm, who are you? But <laughs> I kind of gave my right. <laughs> I said, I am six blocks away and I can deliver. But um, it really triggered me to like keep my work momentum going. I don't really know how to stop working. So I wanted to use my skill set for something positive and something that was more humanitarian. And um, that's how it started. I started to make masks for them. And it started off slowly and slowly. And then I went on the news and that kind of blew up everything <laughs> because, you know, I didn't realize, this is gonna sound naive, I didn't realize how much of a news outlet is a well-viewed thing. <laughs> 
Okay. And I was like, oh my God, like a lot of people watch this news segment. This is kind of crazy. Especially right now. Before that, I offered a pattern. And I offered the pattern because as much as I was making the mask, I wasn't producing as much as I wanted to. I wanted to create more because there's the such a huge demand. And I did, I'm self-funded. I didn't want to have this be for profit. And you know, that's in itself takes some time and some money. And it was it was getting slim for me. So I wanted to offer the pattern, so I did that. And it has been incredible because it allowed people who were at home with their kids to give them something to do. It allowed people who are skilled and capable to provide for their communities. And for even the people who are like, I can't sew for shit, but I'm bored, I'm gonna try this because you told me to do it. And like, it allowed people to have an outlet for occupying their time, to feel like they're safe and to provide for their community. And so making masks for the elderly led to providing the masks so that people could be more sufficient. You know, that saying like, you know, you lead a horse to water, he can have a drink or not, or if you teach a man to fish, he can survive for life. It was all the same concept. I wanted to be able to give people the tools to provide for themselves and ultimately stay safe and healthy. So elderly, masks, news, and then it blew up into like, everyone needs masks. <laughs> literally, like, I was like, oh, literally flying in like a superhero and yeah. saving the day because there are so many homeless people out there van lifers, you got people living in their cars who don't necessarily have the protection that other people have, you know? Totally. Sanitizing the inside of your car, I guess, is a step up, but it still is the reality of a lot of people out in the world. Yeah. So it's great to hear that you're doing a lot of activism and you're just out there on the forefront, you know, stepping out and directly tackling the problem. With that being said, I wanted to ask you also, what do you think will be the aftermath of COVID-19? Um, I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very scary for me um, because so many of my peers are not super crazy high-end luxury brands and they're not low-end Fashion Nova brands. So in this moment, people are gonna come out of this in two scenarios. Either you're gonna be wealthy still because you had money to begin with, or you're still gonna have fairly little amount of money, but still want to be connected to a community or connected to fashion or even buying things because you want to feel good about yourself or whatnot. So I'm I'm fearful that the big brands are always going to be big brands and rich people are always going to have money. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be able to buy expensive things. They're going to be able to do it. We get yeah. Maybe a little like notch in the belt when things are getting a little tough, but like they'll be fine. And the yeah. people who you know, are typically like a Zara shopper or a Forever 21 shopper, like they're gonna come out of this wanting to feel cute when they go out. Oh my God, coming out of quarantine, I need to like look fierce, but like I got six cents. Like how am I gonna do this? Cause I haven't worked in three months, I don't have a job. But those brands are still gonna be okay. It's the middle brands who are like still producing really art-based things that are incredibly visionary that are middle price point of like a couple hundred dollars here and there that are gonna possibly get looked over. So I'm really fearful for the outcome of the middleman and myself is included in that with other friends of mine that we're the ones that are gonna struggle the most because even the people who are selling a lower price point, they have a lot of big backing and that's why they're able to sell it at a lower price point. And the people selling high-end stuff have a backing to sell luxury goods. So low-end and high-end are still gonna be fine. It's the middle people I'm looking for. 
Well, we know that you know how to design lots of different things and you know how to survive, honey, on this algorithm. So I am not worried about you at all. You are gonna come out on top and I'm just so <laughs> Side note, who are some of your favorite models to work with as far as muses that inspire you? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, as you well know, my models are always friends. And if they weren't friends prior to working with them, they become family. And I really treat my brand the same way. Um, I've always been a very big um, advocate for imperfection or people who feel like something is off and they were like either feeling insecure about. But this is before I think even it became a thing. I. I like beauty and imperfection. And so my favorite muses are people who are human, just beings, people who are confident and multifaceted as themselves. So you don't have to be this perfect body and this statuesque thing. I just want you to come in and be this incredible being. So all my models that I have around me are always my muses, always. That is so awesome. Where do you draw your inspiration from? I know each season has a different type of inspiration, but I guess we can talk about your most recent one. <laughs> oh God, I mean, I always draw from personal experiences and um, each one is always very personal, but also very much like, I don't want to make it so personal. We're like, well, I don't know. I didn't go through that shit. Like, I don't want to buy it. Like, you're <laughs> crazy. <my> <laughs> don't understand. Well, like, I love um, you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like uh, supposed to like go on your face? Yeah, like, like, I'm gonna just take a refill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. I was very personal, and you know, one of the most personal shows for me was one that you were involved in, which was the Ritual Collection, and. Um, that was a, a very dark time in my life, and I was trying to channel my art into, or my sorrow, I was trying to channel my sorrow into my art, like most artists do. And I, I did it well. I, I really just dove in and released every sort of toxicity, and I spent months preparing my ritual collection and it had clearly a very witchcraft-based, and, um, the show itself was not as as planned, I guess we could say. <laughs> it, it felt like a disaster. Ashton almost passed out. Side <laughs> note, <laughs> sidebar. Um, the end result, I promise, guys, when you go onto Ashton's page, was like magnifique, like to the point where I was like, yo, like that's my way, like that's my dude. <laughs> like, yeah. You did that. That, <laughs> that show specifically taught me so much. Um, a, a quick synopsis of that show, for those who don't know, um, I always do like a praying ritual before the show with my models and my team and create a unity. And this particular show, I had my friends from Spellbound Sky, a store in LA, come in as like my shamanic drummers and bless the runway. And they lined the whole runway with white pillar ritual candles and like key makeup artists with my friend James Vincent. And he's, I got a witch line and my friends were there who are all witches. And we kind of created a very protective space for the show and to deliver our art. And everything seemed to be going just fine. The event <laughs> was great. Things were amazing. But the witchcraft did work, let's just say that. Witchcraft worked, but it worked in a way that I was not expecting. You know, I really was going through a dark moment in my life and I wanted to release this energy. And 
by doing that, um, a few looks into the show, the entire power went out in the whole building, obviously leaving us with no lights, no music, no nothing. <laughs> Which is always, you know, a fashion designer's dream after working for months on something to have <laughs> no yeah, power. You had the shamanic drummers. I mean, <laughs> they were prepared. Like, you were full-on prepared for a natural disaster. <laughs> but... I know, and that's what's ironic, because when the power went out, everything was lit by pillar candles, and it was, looking back, it was cinematic and it was gorgeous and it was so spiritual. But in that moment, I just started crying and I was hysterical and I thought like, I've just spent so much time in like Daily Front Row and Women's Were Daily and all these people can't cover the show now because of something that has been such a catastrophic, unexpected experience. And what I didn't realize in that moment as I'm hysterically crying is I look around and People are gathering everyone to support me. The people in the audience bring out their camera phone lights and start stomping their feet. My friends start playing drums to give a rhythm for the models to watch. The models start stomping their feet and screaming. And I just am in completely engulfed with this high vibration of love and support. And I gather myself together barely. And I, they, you know, my best friend Marco starts calling the show, next model go, next model go. I'm like, it becomes this self-sufficient encompassed energy of a show. And I didn't need lights, I didn't need music. What I realized in the beauty of all this disaster is that everybody in this room is there for me and therefore this community that I'm building and for the vision that I want everyone to appreciate and enjoy. And that feeling is so emotional and so overwhelming that it made me realize it's not about fashion. It's not about being successful or famous or dressing celebrities. It's about building a community, building your tribe, and that tribe will love you and support you and lift you up in the moments when you feel like you have nothing else to give. And you know, it's, it's so emotional for me still. And every time I think about it, I cry because the messages I got after that show were like, that was the most spiritual thing I've ever been a part of. That was the most ascending experience I've ever witnessed. I'm leaving here a different human. Like, it made me realize it's not about fashion. It's about the experience. It's about what you can give to people, what you can inspire them, what they can trigger emotionally. And so I'm very grateful that that shit happened, even though it was fucked up, because it made me come out virtually like enlightened and ascended. And I feel like everyone that could witness it came out the same. It was literally like that song, no colors anymore. I want them to turn black. <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> and then you came out with a pink fashion line I think prior to that, yeah. what inspired the pink colors? I mean, it was beautiful pastels. I mean, pink is always a color that is obviously not on brand for me, ideally, because I've been pegged as this like LA designer who wears black and makes black clothes and it's gothy and this. But like, ultimately, pink is also like the most loving, encompassing chakra color. Like, if you really look at the aura and the breakdown of pink, it's about community also. And so there's a vibration within that color that I thought, well, I'm gonna fuck up 
everybody right now. And I'm gonna go from making an all black collection and I'll make a fucking pink collection. And you know what? I was horrified. I was so scared. And it was one of my most successful collections. Literally. You had Beyonce up in it. Who else? You had, you had everybody and their mama up in those outfits. But two weeks later, Beyonce wore it for the title launch. Ariana wore it for her title or for the Vimeo experience. I remember that. I mean, Lori Petty. I mean, like, people were like, this is what we wanted. Like, because if you'd have took those exact clothes and made them in black, they'd have been cool. You take my clothes and put them in pink, they're like, that shit's fucking dope. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, great. I mean, I'm glad this is working out for everyone. Bitch, everyone get Pepto. I don't know, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> get Pepto. Sponsored <laughs> by Salmon, girl, whatever. Like, let's do this then. <laughs> okay, really quick, go. How many fashion shows have you done in total? Five, four, three, two. One in your whole entire life. Oh, too many. Um, but seven notable, I'll say. I I don't follow the season calendar of how many you have to do a year. So sometimes I'll do two a year. Sometimes I'll do one a year. Sometimes I'll skip two years. I just kind of do them when I want to do them. Right, you take that time to yourself. And I totally understand that. Amen. What was the first piece of clothing you ever made? And like, did it come out the way you wanted it to? No, God, it didn't come up the way I wanted it to. Like, anyone who says, like, oh, the first thing I made was perfect is a fucking liar. Liar. Like, how dare you? Um, no, I mean, I started making clothes early on with, like, Susie Homemaker kind of, like, stuff with my mom and grandma. But, like, the first clothes I started to, like, make was when I was a dancer and I started to make clothes for my hip-hop dance crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roll it out. <laughs> you look like you're ready for a hip hop class now, honey. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> Two dancers over here paving the way in fashion. Right? Oh, just trying to make it happen. That's amazing. Yeah. Were any of your other family members uh, involved in the fashion industry at all? Is there a lineage or are you a trailblazer of your I family? I am. Uh, there's no other person in my family professionally that has really taken it on. Uh, it's always been sort of like a hobby for them. So um, I would say necessarily I'm the, the black sheep, ironically, uh, of the family <laughs> in, a, in a positive way. I think they all fell into different fields that are, you know, respectable. Some are hairstylists, some are in medical. They're all across the board, but I'm definitely the only one. Well, that makes two of us, and I'm an only child, so I'm really, <laughs> really rogue black sheep, so I definitely identify with you on that. Yeah. I was going to ask, too, what is the overall message that you hope to transcend through each of your collections and, and just your legacy? I think that's really important as a designer, and I, I can see that you clearly think about that because everything is just so beautifully done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I always think about this, and it's going to sound a little morbid, but, like, death to me isn't a bad thing. Death is a rebirth, and so... I'm not fearful of death. I'm fearful of what's left behind and people remember of me. So my biggest uh, fear is that I won't be remembered as something that did 
a positive movement or something that was impactful. And it has nothing to do necessarily with my brand or collections. It has to do with like the experience you have, whether it's a model on my show or a client, or when you wear my clothes, it's all about energetic experience. So it don't need to be glorified as this legendary designer. I just want the people that I touched and affected to carry that with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, it's actually really cool because uh, I studied this dance style called Butoh and it's about the rebirth of Japan and that very much so sounds like an awesome Japanese thing, you know? It is. I, I think Japanese culture specifically, you know, we believe in reincarnation and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like it's celebrated as like now you get another chance you get to do something more beautiful or change things or come back as a different thing or being and it's all very positive. It's very positive. And it also, I think the message too with the death of something is constantly reincarnation is literally shedding layers of yourself, reminding yourself that this is something that you have to seize now and in this moment. Right. And live it, breathe it, whether it's good or bad. So yeah. it's kind of like this there is no above and there is no below. There's always, I love it so much. I learned that literally like in a dance class about like the, the war of Japan and stuff. And yeah, just, it, it was really cool. Butoh is really, you, I think you would like it a lot. <laughs> Anyways, <Absolutely>. side note, <laughs> got off sense. Back to you, Ashton. I wanted to ask you three essential designers that you consider trailblazers or people that really have inspired you in some way, shape, or form. Um, the three that have always stuck out the most to me uh, have been long-term designers of mine that I admire and respect. And that is uh, Ray Kawakubo, Rick Owens, and Vivian Westwood. And all three of them are for the exact same reason. They are, un they are all unapologetically themselves. <laughs> Maybe they're. They are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do that one more time. The three designers that I admire the most are Rick Owens, Vivian Westwood, and Ray Kalkubo. And the reason why is they're all 100% unapologetically themselves. Rick Owens is a, a local LA, which obviously I love. And I had the privilege of working out of his studio for fucking 10 years. So when he moved to Paris, my friend Marco and I worked out of his space for 10 years until I moved four doors up. I'm still four doors down from Rick Owens' old space. I'm still on the same block. So like that to me is like LA, goth, punk, underground queer culture that I will always like 100% identify with. And so I love him for that. He is the birth of LA, but is now massive enough to take over Paris. And that to me is like inspirational. Uh, Westwood the same, like in your face, fuck you, punk rock, but made beautiful clothes that had a message. Ray was the same, she made beautiful art. She didn't make clothes, she made art. And everything had an emotion and a statement and it was so Japanese and it spoke volumes by just looking at it. So if you really look at all three of them and they're all from different countries, but they're all wonderfully powerful artists that are above fashion. They're just artists that use fashion as their medium. Which is amazing, and it really contributes. A lot of people sometimes they, I'm sure, ask you the same things where they're like, oh, how did you get started in this? It's like, um, I don't know, just like walking down the street and admiring someone's outfit, or it's literally all around us, the inspiration in which we possess. 
last question that I want to ask about fashion models for the day, because this is not another model. I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the difference between the 90s and today, 2020 fashion? And where do you think the future of fashion modeling is going? Oh God, I, forgot you could see <laughs> wait, my wait, wait. I like literally forgot you could see my face. And I was like, oh, um, honey, well, I was like, oh fuck, that's my face. <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, you know what it is? It's substance. I mean, 100% in the 90s, I'm gonna to touch on that specifically. This is pre-social media, pre-quote unquote popularity, pre-so-and-so says you're fierce on this thing and now you have a fucking voice. You had to be sickening. You had to deliver. You had to know how to work the clothes. You knew like down to a T. They were called supermodels for a fucking reason. Yeah. They were super women that were models. Very simple. You look at today and you're like, oh, this person has 30 million followers. Let's put her on the runway because she's gonna get our brand notice. That is not the point. The point is that you should have no relevance about social media following or whatnot. It should be like, I like you for my brand. You speak to my brand. You're my brand image. And it shouldn't be about an agenda. And I feel like so many brands nowadays will hire influencers or social media people because it grows the brand. Mm -hmm. Really, it takes away the art form of people just using artists or dancers or body movers who can like bring the clothes to life. Modeling is about bringing the garment into an actual physical emotion. And just because you're this pretty face that has a lot of fucking followers doesn't mean you're gonna do justice to anyone's art. And mm -hmm. I find that the biggest problem is that big brands and small brands go to big influencers as opposed to going to just really good models. Any size, any ethnicity, any gender, it doesn't matter. But book the models that are models, not because they have influence and following. That is very true. And I do understand exactly what you're saying. And it's, it's cool because the playing field has definitely opened up for a lot of people. But yeah, you're basically in a nutshell saying the art of wearing the garment has been slightly just put asunder because of all of the the statistics and the math behind it. It's become more scientific, yeah. more so than it has become about the actual talent or merit of that person. Like I've never booked someone because I'm like, oh, they have a big following? Great. I do a casting like I always do. I don't know who you are, or maybe I do because you're a friend, but I don't book people based on their social stats because you know what? All it takes is one thing. Say that one person you book has 3,000 followers and then gets booked for Saint Laurent. And the next week they have 300,000 followers. So now you missed the opportunity because you didn't believe in them. You didn't see the vision behind that person. And I find that that's the biggest frustration within booking these influencers and not just booking really sickening models is that you're being bamboozled into thinking there's something greater than you are. Wow, that's really deep. It takes one thing, one that. opportunity. It's all it takes because you know what? Models bust their ass. They go to castings, they put through shit, they're on set for 12 hours, there's hurry up and wait all day. Models have a fucking terrible job. Like, it's not <laughs> fun. Your hair come out fucked up after the shoot, your face got 10 pounds of makeup, like, you've been sitting in the sun with your ass out, like, it's not fun. I'm aware, that shit sucks. And like, you guys hustle your fucking ass. 
And I think the problem is that people who are granted these opportunities based on social status, they yeah. end up putting in the work to even get that status to be that model. <laughs> Look, the models. Yeah. Real models. <laughs> it's still it's still kind of hilarious. Like we've had one girl who was with Wilhelmina models, Apurva Mitra. She replaced an influencer on set who wasn't Indian that they hired to be Indian for the day. We had discussed that. Hired <laughs> to be Indian for the day. Like, can I just get a box of chicken curry to go, but I don't really want it? Like, what is this hired for a day to be an ethnicity? What the? Yeah. I'm so offended. It's so, it's kind of hilarious though, because it's, it, it's just random because everyone's trying to figure it out sometimes, I guess. Like they're going, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're all in this together. But okay, so I, my next question to you would be, what is probably the worst piece of fabric that is not ethically friendly? Like it's not ethically sourced out there. Oh man, there's so many. I mean, nowadays, you know, you know, leather's being frowned upon, anything with spandex or elastic is being frowned upon. Anything that's not like compostable um, is becoming sort of like, the bad guy and people are making leathers out of, you know, cactus and hemp and seaweed and like kelp and all these things. And so like people are finding these beautiful alternative roots, but I feel like basically, unless it's a natural fiber, like everything's kind of shit. <laughs> everything's sort of kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, it will kind of last. So if you buy it, it's, it's you, right. know, you know, it's gonna last. There are definitely fast fashion items that Probably won't, but that's why we go to Ashton Michael for our things, exactly. For our real leather pieces that are actually gonna be beneficial to our bodies. And I think that's the point of why you pay money for nice clothes is so that you don't have to buy a lot of it and then you pay for the actual work that went into the clothing. Yeah. Because designers do suffer as well. You guys are suffering and getting the right fabrics. I mean, just trying to like embroider hats and stuff like that. I was like, wow, I can't imagine putting together clothing like for bodies and bodies of all different sizes and stuff like that. It's a lot and then cost per item. I mean, it's like, how do you keep track of all that? It's a lot of work. I mean, yeah. it's, it's definitely a lot. So by the time it hits different people and it, it travels to market, it's just so, much so i definitely have the utmost respect for designers as well because it's i mean look at you saint Laurent, like he smoked all the time he never <laughs> like he up for days like you know so it's you, just you life the wrong idea fashion is not glamorous fashion is like kind of fucked up and super stressful and it's really like a high tension experience and as much as people are like, oh, you must just like drink champagne and do coke. I was like, okay, calm down. I mean, maybe, but like also. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I just got to 35 hour days. And there's times where like, you don't even get to go home because you're stuck at your studio or your fucking factory. Like it's, it's not glamorous. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of work temporary because you're expected to do it on such a quick turnaround for the yeah. next season and the next season and the next season. Like, this is why it breaks so many designers down. It's not very healthy to live and work in the surrounding. <laughs> no. At all. I, it's, I know a model who sips, sips wine. <laughs> 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 Whew, let's take a breath there for a second. <laughs> 
You know, on that last part, I know like a model who, she still looks like she's 25 and she's in her 50s. And she was like, I have back problems because I've, I've been doing showroom, literally. Like I would put on garment after garment, eight hours a day. Like it was great money. Like she's living real nice. Like, and a lot of models think that they, a lot of models think that they have to live a certain way or all models live a certain way. There's a lot of models out there who like, literally have a nice living and they you're never going to see their face right. literally because they're working in showrooms they're doing all these different jobs that you know don't require that i know people making money off of just using their hands doing yeah. stand work you know yeah. so it's interesting it's very funny <laughs> the one thing i will touch on is after doing next in fashion i was about the models i was really impressed about the diversity they showed um <laughs> We had people on there that were trans. We had people on there that were, they called them, I don't remember, I forget what they called them. I was like, that's a weird word. <laughs> I was like, what? No, they had them on there for like the, we call them plus size because that's the generation I'm from. But now there's a new word for it. And I think it's like bowl or something. I was like, that just sounds- Curve, Curve women? <laughs> it was but Really, they brought on a eclectic cast of all models. And I thought that was really wise because most times, there's not a lot of like gender inclusivity or body inclusivity. It's like, you're a model, put this on, you're a size two, go walk, come home. <laughs> and so I, I enjoyed that on the show that we were giving opportunity to dress all kinds of body types and all kinds of genders and gender non-conforming. And I think that was really cool about the show um, because it, it is a time in fashion where things are changing so much. and. There's a sensitivity about understanding people's beings and who they are and who they identify as. And um, they're all there to help your brand, you know? Like without these people to portray your image and your vision, you're just making clothes. Like you're not making a lifestyle. No, you're not making a lifestyle. And it it, it does look like it's a lifestyle on Instagram, but you're definitely making clothes. <laughs> and side note, everybody, Ashton just dropped that. This is our take two. So Ashton has done a show that's on Netflix running right now. It's called Next in Fashion. And it was just obviously a cool experience because it was very inclusive to the female body and stuff. What was your personal experience like with being on the show and just getting to do sips, sips wine? What was that like for you? Because you're usually in a room. Working. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people were stressing out because they're like, oh, it's going to take so much longer to make these clothes. But I was like, this is what my daily life encompasses. So, like, it kind of just felt like I was at work without my alcohol or my music. So, and my cameras. <laughs> and cameras, I'd be like, can you get the fuck out of my face because I'm trying to work? Like, like <laughs> that's just who I am. I'm very crash. But the show itself was a beautiful opportunity in the respect that I made a ton of great friends people that I felt like I went through boot camp with and sort of created a bond that no one else will ever understand. Um, the challenges were like, whatever. I felt they were a little generic, but uh, my biggest my biggest issue with the show was like, within an episode, they're like, you're the LA designers and you wear black and all you do is wear black. And I was like, first of all, I never said I was an LA designer. You called me an LA designer. You cast me on the show as an LA designer. You're telling me all I do is dress celebrity. You knew this in the casting call. Like, why are you trying to change me? Like, am I here to prove who I am as a designer? 
or am I here to prove to you how, like, you want to like me? Like, I don't care if you like me, Tan France. You think a French tech solves fashion issues. I don't care. So like, I felt like I was proving myself after 16 years to a room that wasn't necessarily valid. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, meaning that they probably haven't put in the same amount of time and effort as you like, have. There's beautiful years. judges on it, like Philip Lim, I love. Wow. Uh, Christopher Kane, like people who are very honest in their direction and their opinions and their criticism. Mm -hmm. There's other things where like, there was challenges that one specifically where Elizabeth Stewart, mind you, in 16 years, I've never worked with her and there's I, <laughs> I wish you would step out of being so quote unquote LA. I feel like you're stuck on Melrose. Like think more couture. Pause, okay? Pause. Sips, Sips invisible wine at this point. <laughs> when in my entire career have I said I was a couturier? When was the challenge called a couture challenge? When has LA become a completely not melting pot of culture, fashion, and culinary? When was Melrose ever considered a bad place? I'm sorry, there's a lot of high-end stores on Melrose. Are you talking about East Melrose, Metro? Like, why are you coming for me when you're from LA and you're trying to break me down for being from LA and I never once said, I'm from LA. You're coming for me for no reason. So like, if you don't like me, then don't fuck with me. I'm cool with it. Be like, I don't like what you made, but leave my fucking city out of it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you gotta rest the set. I mean, come like, on, like, I'm like no. proper. You know, like, there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of people doing big moves here. Leave my fucking city out of it. And you're based in LA, so if you got a problem with it, get it out of my face. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> airing out all her personal baggage. I felt the same thing through the TV screen. Like, you're just airing out personal baggage, literally. Like, like Okay, so you think a pantsuit is the fucking solve for everything. Like, calm down. Like, if this was a couture challenge, I would have delivered couture. This is a goddamn streetwear challenge. Shut the fuck up and sit down. That's your, like, that's your thing, too. You like, know what I mean? Thing. If you want to make a couture piece, you could, but that wasn't the challenge. Like, I just felt like from the jump, the judges had it out for me and Marco because we were from L.A., but, like, on the show, you can make a Korean-inspired wedding dress. Oh, we love it, it's amazing. You can make a Brooklyn-inspired streetwear. Oh, it's Brooklyn, we love it. You can make an Indian, everyone pulled from their culture and was praised. I never once mentioned LA and I'm criticized for it. You have a problem with my city, not me. Yes, Iman, speaking of which, <laughs> which we didn't take one, <laughs> basically said that LA fashion pretty much doesn't know the season. And would you agree with that? Would you agree with the fact that <laughs> we don't know our season? We don't because I guess, you know what? You got sunshine behind you. I got sunshine outside of me. <laughs> we don't have no seasons. Like this is the, also a beautiful place to visit or to live because we are surrounded by sunshine and positivity. And like, she's 100% correct. Seasons where? <laughs> Child, yeah. we don't need no yeah. season. So the the reason I think she's 100% correct is also fashion has seasons <laughs> for a reason. Fashion has seasons for commerce, right? Because mm -hmm. art in fashion doesn't need a season. You can make anything and it's considered clothing or fashion. 
but when it comes down to season, it's going based on geographical location. So I'm gonna make a down code because this is going to Canada or to New York where they, they need this stuff. LA doesn't have a season, so we can make a tank top in December and people are still gonna buy it because they're still gonna wear it to go eat sushi at Nobu with a tacky shoes. That's fine. Flip up. <laughs> That's your life. That's cool. So LA doesn't have seasons, but there's still so much art here that can be presented and it's outside of seasonless things. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't personally wear flip-flops because I lived in New York, you know, you dance, me dance, dancer feet, like I'm not, I'm Gucci off of that. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hilarious, honestly, because you'll see people, you'll go to the, like even during Rona, honestly, I've seen people in flip-flops with a mask and then they'll have their hands out and or they'll have nothing and they'll just have flip-flops on and i'm like people sometimes don't even think to keep the the impurities from your feet like that's why reflexology exists you know mm. and it's no judgment or anything like that it's just an observation because it is an la thing to if not know <laughs> flip-flops in public and you're not at the beach you are nasty i'm gonna say it Period. right Nasty, nasty. <laughs> you go into your crib and you walk with your crusty toes in your crib and you just spread all the city around your crib. You're nasty. Nasty. But you you only know that if you lived in New York or on the East Coast or you've been to Europe because people definitely know how to wear the layers. And that I got on a plane literally from New York and Toronto basically. And people were in North Carolina with the same, I don't think it's just an LA thing, honestly. Like I was actually <laughs> shocked that no one was experiencing the levity. People were looking at me like I was like superwoman because I had a cape on, I had <laughs> a sweater, I had on, I had goulashes, the detachable fur ones. I mean, I was really suited. I had a mask, I had my gloves on and people were like, oh, so who are you? I'm like, who are you? Cause you don't care about your life. Like, oh. sitting, I mean, honey. So last question on the Corona, on this hoe, because she needs to just disappear. Honey, we need to be able to see some of all this. Oh, hi baby. Oh my God, what a beautiful dog. Baby. What's your baby's name? Oh, that's Kingsley. Kingsley, for all of those who don't have the YouTube version, when the show airs, you know, you can go check out Ashton's beautiful dog on YouTube. But yeah, it's crazy. I want to be able to see the sunlight with, you know, without Rona. And I just right. want to just drop some Lysol from the sky so that we can <laughs> move on this. way too much. Why is black your favorite color? You know, there's uh, a famous quote by another designer that I love. Um, and I'm not gonna say who, I'm gonna give y'all some homework, but I'm gonna give you some Ooh. key words. And he said, black is arrogant, black is confident. Black says, I don't bother you, so don't bother me. And it is all encompassing. It is the most arrogant color because it says, I'm me, leave me alone. And that goes from business meetings into other meetings. Like, it's such a transitional color that is confident enough that speaks volumes without having to say it. And then we're coming on you for wearing black, you know, and, and designing black. And black is timeless. It, it literally is all of that quote. And it's just crazy that they came for you so much on Netflix. Like, I was like, what is going on? Like, and it's also funny because I thought, 
oh, so you don't ever wear black clothes? And when you wear black clothes, you don't feel like a powerful ass bitch? Like, don't you dare tell me you don't feel sickening when you wear all black. Don't act like Chanel wasn't the first person to make a pantsuit. There's an entire fashion fucking movement called the little black dress. And you're gonna tell me black's a problem? <laughs> Is that your way of it? <laughs> Wait, let maybe me. I admit Maybe I missed something in my entire fashion history that black is a problem. Black is fucking beautiful. It is. And you know, I'm just gonna leave it right there. I'm gonna leave it at the door, literally. <laughs> you know what? I will touch on one more thing that I, I wanna mention because we mentioned in the first interview is um, the fact that um, Netflix, as much as the critiques were somewhat bothersome for me, the experience was very positive and I left with beautiful, like, friends and colleagues, but more importantly, it led me to an opportunity at this point to have a global outreach to reach these people to provide the mask pattern and to have a much more uh, less localized, I should say, and more global approach to save people and provide healthy outlets for people to make these masks. And I will never take that for granted. And the most positive thing from Netflix under that show is now. I never thought it would be this, but it's the post show. And it had nothing to do with my brand. It had to do with saving people. And I love that too. I'm glad you touched on that. Honey, we've been doing this for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to press record. <laughs> I then finally got my lighting. The sun finally. I know. Now it's cute. <laughs> right? Damn. I'm really grateful for this. And uh, I just wanted to kind of close out and ask you the same question I asked the last time on how do you survive <laughs> this algorithm <laughs> and what advice would you have to give to just a a fashion designer starting out that wants to actually be a part of the game for 16 years because god knows it's a journey <laughs> it's a journey and i think the most important thing is find your voice and do what feels good in your spirit and your soul and not what people think is cool or trendy or social acceptable. Follow your heart, listen to your spirit, and follow your gut at the end of the day. That is amazing. Well, I am so grateful for you. I am so grateful that your brand is just expanding. I mean, we are adapting here, guys. I mean, we got the Zoom. You know, I didn't press record. <laughs> I would have, you know, had the CVJs and, you know, the Serato because, you know, I've been taking this Rona time to really get into my craft. But thank you so much, Ashton. We love you. And everybody, go check out every beautiful thing that Ashton has ever done. He has worked with some of the most iconic people in the entire world. And he's just growing as a brand. Check out Next in Fashion on Netflix. And type in, you type in Ashton Michael, literally A-S. H-T-O-N-M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Woo! Obviously, I rolled out of bed to do this. Yes. <laughs> but we're still making it happen. We're adapting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> literally. Oh, we love you so much. Love you, baby. Happy morning. I will. Thank you so much. <laughs> Till next time. Okay. This is Not Another Model on the Delicious Vinyl Station powered by Dash.